As a OneOuter.com podcast listener, we're offering a special discount for joining PokerXFactor.com. You can qualify for a massive $70 off your sign-up. All you need to do is enter promotional code OneOuter70. That's O-N-E-O-U-T-E-R-7-0. Okay, it's a great pleasure today for OneOuter.com to speak with someone who's been on previously. It's a mental game coach, Jared Tendler. How are you today, Jared? Yeah, I'm doing great, Barry. How are you? Ah, oh, fantastic. Fantastic. So um, you were out of the World Series and stuff. Um, well, how was that for you? Did you play any events or were you just out there for you know meeting up with clients and just sort of soaking up the atmosphere? Yeah, no, working with clients. I mean, I'm smart enough to know how good everybody else is compared to me, so I'm not putting any money any money on there. I I did play about uh, ten minutes of Let It Ride and won three hundred bucks, so that was about it for my gambling. Oh, wow. uh, <laughs> I knew I knew the variance was pretty high in there, so I got out of there pretty quick. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I had I had a bunch of clients out there, uh, a few who went fairly deep, uh, you know, you know, top hundred in the in the World Series in the in the main event. Um, and then you know some other players playing some of the uh, the smaller events and networking about the book, meeting a lot of new people. It was great to be out there. I mean, every year I've been out there, I've met new people and kind of becoming more and more connected with the poker community, which has been great. And uh, yeah, I'm sure it's it's Vegas, so I had a little fun on the side as well. Yeah, well, if there's anywhere that sort of full of places where you can market your book is the pressure cooker, you know, the World Series for a lot of these guys when they're down to you know, two tables and the money involved, it's phenomenal. I mean, I remember um, round about the main event time on your Twitter account, um, you said you were just standing next to the person who bubbled. And I said something like, uh, oh, there, there's a fresh client for you. you must <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, it's funny, and I tried to, I tried to run down and, and, and hand him a book, but they they ushered him somewhere quickly to, to do an interview, and at the, oh. that didn't end up happening. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I was there the rest of the way and, and watching some of – you know, some pretty good players make some pretty poor, uh, pretty poor moves down the end, and there were there was definitely some buckling under the pressure. And from yeah. what I could tell, I mean, the the, the final nine, um, the guys that made it, uh, they definitely uh, did not crack. You could see that that there was there were many mm-hmm. others who did, and and uh, you know whether or not they're going to be able to hold up over the next three months under the pressure of all the attention and what that's going to do for them uh, mentally as they prepare. Uh, that's another question, uh, but you know, through the through the what is it, sixty eight hundred and fifty four people, uh, mm-hmm. they were they were definitely among the mentally strong, the the most mentally strong at that time. Yeah, this might sound uh, strange, but when I was watching the live stream, and um, when they were down to ten players, you know, the the biggest sort of the final table, the real bubble, if you like. Right, you know, right, right. Nine, and I can't. The guy's name uh, has eluded me just now, but the guy that went out tenth, I was uh, watching John Hewitt. Yeah, I was watching him, and he just, he didn't, long before he went out, you know, he didn't play the first 35 or 40 hands, he didn't put a chip in a pot, mm-hmm. I think he anted away, you know, around about 5 million in blinds and antes, and the commentators were start, sort of starting to say, you know, uh, oh, I forgot he was here, and you know, I forgot, but he still wasn't in danger, but if there was anybody I was looking at that was going to blow up, or, you know, or go out or something, it was him, he just looked nervous and you know, it just looked like he wanted it over with quick, and he was waiting on someone to go out, and you know, and it's like he tried maybe too hard or something, and it just he was the one that ended up going out. Yeah, yeah, and you could see how the the pressure of a moment like that can change somebody's approach, and 
it's it's hard to know why until you talk to him, but yeah. clearly was something off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to say. So um, yeah, the last time we had you on, you know, we talked about your book, The Mental Game of Poker, and I've since got my copy through the post, um, and I'm about judging on where the bookmark is, probably just over halfway through. Um, and I've had it a few weeks now. I'm, I'm sure you know you appreciated that when you sold a book to poker players that a lot of them take their time reading sometimes. Um, <laughs> they sometimes sort of, you know... Uh, well, it's a, it's also a book that I think, you know, kind of lends itself to that. There, it, can be yeah. thick, it, it can be thick in spots and to really internalize what's what I'm trying to get across can can take a little bit of time. So I, I yeah, I have to digest it sort of thing and yeah. and apply the certain things, you know, as you go. And and one of the things I usually do is when I flick through a book, you know, something jumps out and I, I flick through your book just to see, you know, content, titles of chapters, etc. Mm-hmm. And at the end there was a bit that says, um, you don't you have not mastered this book. <laughs> you and I said <laughs> I said, I'm glad I read that because you know from the outset that it's an ongoing process and it's not just gonna click overnight sort of thing. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, so um uh, since you were last on, um, you were kind enough for me to send you in uh, a questionnaire um, and answer bits and pieces about myself. So um, the plan for this uh, sort of catch-up session is uh, just to sort of go through that um, and then take it from there and then uh, maybe offer some of my listeners, you now I've got a chance, uh, how they can win a copy of, the, of your book, The Mental Game of Poker. So um, we'll just sort of take it away. Great. Well, uh, as as you said, uh, you've handed me your questionnaire, which is something that all new clients do. Uh, it's uh, a very powerful tool. Uh, it's actually at the end of the book, uh, and powerful in the sense that it helps to really organize uh, the many different layers and aspects of the mental game that help me better understand exactly what the problem is, or if somebody actually you know reading the book and, and answering the questions for themselves, it can help to direct them to the sections of the book. That are most relevant. So already I know from your questionnaire exactly where we're going to start because you mentioned very clearly that you have this uh, sense of impending doom and negativity as things start to get off in the latter stages of tournaments. So it's something very, very specific we're dealing with here. Um, And probably would be helpful for everybody else to just have you explain that a little bit more and there may be some details that I'll pick out from, from that. Yeah. Um, well, even since you know we last spoke, I've been playing. I injured my ankle, and it's mean you know it's meant that I've stayed in the house and put played a lot more volume for what I'm used to. And um, so I've obviously been seeing more things. But just to give you an idea, I've been really, really deep in about six or seven tournaments with fields, you know, in the thousands. And I've been down to the last two tables, you know, fourteenth, twelfth, thirteenth. I made one final table, ninth. And in every situation, um, I just sort of had it in my head that, uh, you know, sort of, yeah, here we go. It just, it's almost like, it, without sounding crazy, it's almost like a voice sort of saying, um, here we go, even though you're deep just now, you know, this is going to happen, something's going to happen. And as soon as you pick up a hand, like, you know, that's, you know that it's likely that chips are going to go in because the way mm-hmm. the tables start, you know, you pick up two queens or you pick up ace-king. And it's sort of, oh, here we go. You know, you just expect it. And I'm sane enough to know that it is variance. But on all those occasions, I mean, I hate bad beats, so, you know, going on about that. But they were all three outers. You know, I had ace-queen, the guy had ace-jack, mm-hmm. and he hit a jack. Um, I had queens, the guy had ace-ten, and he hit um, an ace. You know, so it was two and three outers and things like that. 
And it's just so frustrating, you know, when you're playing like that and you get down to through thousands of players and you're down to 12 players and you're getting, you know, a few hundred dollars in the first, you know, 10,000, 15,000 and things like that. Mm -hmm. Especially when I'm trying to build a bankroll just now. I think it's more frustrating um, because a win of that sort of magnitude would, you know, multiply my bankroll by, you know, by X sort of thing. Um, And it's just, even not impending doom, it's sort of like, um, I just expect it to happen. Even if things are going well, sometimes I'll take a beat and then think, oh, here we go, same old story. It's, uh, here we go, I'm, I'm going to be out in a few hands or I'm going to get really unlucky. Um, or things can be going really well and I don't know what makes me, t- maybe it's because I'm that deep in that that stage of the tournament. I, it just sort of creeps in thinking, well, things are a way to go. So regardless if I'm playing well and doing well, or if I get a little knock to my stack, this this sort of like doubt creeps in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's an accumulation of these negative experiences that has created that emotion. The emotion still lingers, and once it gets triggered by these, you know, late stage um, events as you're describing, mm-hmm. it sort of floods your mind, and it's the emotion that creates those negative thoughts. And the part of the problem is that there's a part of you that almost sort of sort of believes that those thoughts are real. They are going to come true. And buying into that combined with the emotion then actually makes it somewhat predictive. But it's not predictive as if you're a psychic. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So the the real solution here is going to be to resolve – uh, that old emotion, the accumulated emotion, it's something I talk about in Chapter 3, uh, and the solution is in Chapter 4. Mm-hmm. So how we break down uh, this accumulated emotion uh, is is key uh, because it's going to essentially free up your mind to, to sustain focusing on the action rather than getting caught up in what you think is going to happen. Mm-hmm. Now, the simplest way to do that is to extract the learning from these experiences, from from these losses. Um, wh- what have you learned that's potentially positive from what? having uh, uh, these three outers happen? Um, I would say the biggest thing is it's not that bad of a beat, essentially, because... You know, a guy's still got 30% equity in the hand. It's still going to happen, you know, three times out of ten. or whatever. It's it's not that out there sort of thing. I mean, if it happened earlier in the tournament, it's sort of uh, whatever, you know, like to quote the thing, you know, standard. It's just mm-hmm. because it's at that stage of the tournament where a win would mean um, a lot in terms of, you know, or even a decent score in terms of building. Um, it's sort of like I feel it more, but... Yeah, I, I kind of go away and I look at the situation, whether it's, you know, all in pre-flop or all in, you know, on the turn or on, on the flop. And I just sort of look at the equity of the hand and just sort of, I don't in a sick way to sort of say, well, that was my equity and there was there. And sometimes, you know, you are shocked. You're not, you're never that big a, big a favourite. You know, it's, people always say that bad beats in poker, but when you look at it mathematically, it's not that out there. Um, so I kind of just comfort myself if you like with a uh, poker stove and um sort of just think you know well you know 70 percent of the time i'm going to get there and 30 percent that was just you know one of those times um as you say it's just an accumulation of it happening 
so many times deep in tournaments. Right, and the negativity is because of what it would have meant to you. Yeah. Okay. Why is it a good thing that this hasn't happened yet? Why is it a good thing that you haven't had a big score yet? Um, probably because I wouldn't have learned. I wouldn't have learned that. Maybe, or I would have just taken it for granted. Um, mm-hmm. that you, you know, you get deep and oh, there, there's another score, or you know, sort of, sort of along those lines. And um, it's probably made me work harder as well in terms of like looking at other things in my game and stuff as well. Yep. Yeah, if you had won, you know, poker's version of the lottery, it seemed like you were at risk to following similar patterns that you've had, you know, before previously in your life outside of poker, where you go through these kind of big ups and downs professionally. Mm-hmm. You know, if you have a big score, uh, you're at risk for that because nothing had really changed. Yeah. It seems like now, because you've been faced with the realities of variance in poker and things haven't come quite as easily to you. You've been forced to learn new skills and a new work ethic uh, that ultimately will allow you to have more sustainable success rather than this flash in the pants mm-hmm. or flash in the dark. <laughs> well, that's actually pretty. <laughs> that actually hits home quite a lot. Um, like you say, like you know, I've, I've spoken about with your put on the questionnaire. Outside of poker, I have. I've been very lucky and fortunate in terms of. Um, opportunities, you know, in business and other areas just sort of seem to fall into my lap. Or, yeah. I mean, I, I do work for them as well, but I am very lucky as well in terms of situations like that. And, you know, poker definitely has taught me a lot about, you know, having to really work to try and get anywhere serious in it and how difficult it is and the challenge and, and stuff like that. And I have, like you say, I've, I have a tendency to let a flash in the pan, make a lot of money, blow a lot of money, and, and then constantly kick myself for making the same mistakes. Right. Um, whereas in poker, I have actually improved tremendously the last few years in terms of money management now. You know, I really actually don't just talk about it. I actually practice, you know, good mm-hmm. bankroll management and mm-hmm. things. And I didn't previously. You know, I, re- I really didn't at all. Now, this is somewhat anecdotal. There's not, like, hard science about these numbers. But... That the pattern is definitely have been has been proven. Um, in the U.S., do you know what percentage of lottery winners are broke or at their previous income level within five years? Yeah, I, th- I think it's. I actually read that somewhere recently. Is it not? Is it not more than half or something stupid? Something it is seventy-five like percent. Yeah. It's so, crazy, so if, the the reason that I. I mean, and, and other people have heard, uh, think that it's it's that they have never developed the skills to know how to manage that kind of money. You know, if you take an entrepreneur or somebody who grew up in a wealthy family and were were taught, you know, the fundamentals of money management, uh, bankroll management in a sense, but you know, from a life perspective, you know, or to have savvy business skills so you know who to be investing in and who not to be and who not to give money to, you know, these kinds of life business financial skills if you're just if you're just given a pile of money a lot of people are just going to blow it uh in many different ways mm-hmm. and and you've proven to know how to do that pretty well yeah so the key is that uh when you're faced with these sorts of challenges within poker that you use them as opportunities to learn skills that you were not forced to do before which you've been on the path to do but you also mentioned the questionnaire that um there are times where you feel like you can put off some of these non-playing parts of your game and doing the extra studying. Mm -hmm. So consequently, you're sort of 
like it seems like it to not to avoid doing that kind of stuff it's almost like you're waiting for something big to happen so you can take the easy route yeah 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 it's just now you know like i got coaching for the first time i played poker four years but really in terms of online started to take it serious um last year about november time and um i got a coaching session and i've got another one coming up and i would never have thought about doing stuff like that previously but um yeah it's kind of like the old thing you know like making promises to to yourself or whatever like if only or if i get that or when i get that i'll do this sort of thing and i know that that's not you know how you go about it but definitely i think what you say um myself uh, and probably a few other people you think like that and then if you got a big score you know in a tournament 50 60 as you say how long are you going to keep that work ethic in the study and you know going when you get it yeah you sort of you sort of think that the job's done you know almost that's exactly right yeah and so the there i mean you could probably you probably could count them the numbers of players who made a ton of money during you know the uh the internet boom mm-hmm. who were out of the game not by their own choice mm-hmm. they stopped working and they got absolutely lapped by players who were working harder and you know utilizing the growing body of poker knowledge and ex- and education that was that's you know been growing um and the other one stopped working because they felt like they had made it. They felt like they could kind of free roll what they had and that they were just going to continue to win. Mm-hmm. And that's overconfidence. Now, you said in here that you have a tendency to have a little bit of a big ego. And it seems like that that it, that it the ego is um, – it, it kind of comes out in a way that says that you don't have to work as hard because you're just going to get lucky like you've done before elsewhere in your life. Mm-hmm. So why bother? Mm-hmm. And that's just an exaggeration of what's real. Now, you clearly have a lot of confidence, and that's a good thing. That's a great thing. But where it gets excessive and thinking that things are going to be too easy, uh, then it allows you to not do the work necessary to keep improving so you can continue to put yourself in 70, 30 spots deep in a tournament. I mean, if you're not in coin coin flip situations deep in a tournament, you're clearly going to break through at some point. Mm-hmm. I mean, you watch the main event. I saw it. I mean, there, the numbers of coin flips towards the end, it, 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 it happens a lot. Yeah. If you come in as a big favorite uh, consistently, uh, it's going to happen at some point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it's going to take a lot of work to keep improving because everybody else is so that yeah. you can keep putting yourself in those positions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So the solution here is is twofold. Obviously doing the work off the table and no longer making excuses or delaying it because the future is never going to come as you envision it to be. It's basically just uh, delaying responsibility rather than taking it right now. Mm -hmm. Uh, Then actually when you get into into, into deep situations in a tournament, you're going to have to really fight hard to maintain uh, proper perspective. And so in the book, I, you know, I talk about uh, a six-step strategy that really, in this case, only, only four apply. Uh, you know, it's in the strategy section, and it's, it's called injecting logic. And 
And basically injecting logic means that you're going to be correct, excuse me, correcting a core flaw in how you're approaching that situation in that moment. Okay, and the first thing is you've got to recognize that something's gone off, which uh, is going to be fairly easy to see. But even like as you get deep into a tournament, you may just want to start doing this anyway, almost as as a prevention. Uh, but if you were to say something to yourself at that time, uh, what do you think it would be? You're trying again, trying to correct the real problem here. Um. Well, I, I mean, in terms of like my own sort of way of dealing with it, and sort of, I start to just as soon as I get dealing, I just keep sort of thinking the usual thing that I've picked up from other, you know, one hand at a time, and also what I tend to do is just think. Just, just make a good decision, and you know you can't control the cards. And uh, also, the other thing I always remind myself is, regardless of the stage of the tournament, you know you're still just a, you know, a 55-45 or a, a 60-40. The cards don't know what sort of stage of the tournament you're at, you know, sort of thing. So, yeah, just try and remind myself to just, just play well and, and, and get it in good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that's that's very simple. I think that's. Uh, especially since you've already been doing that. Now the key is taking a few deep breaths before it so you can really allow this idea to sink in because if you apply it too late, then you're fighting upstream. In this case, you're trying to prevent that negative emotion from even appearing. Mm -hmm. okay. uh, and then you got to fight for it because what is standard and automatic right now Mm -hmm. is to get into that negative mindset. Mm -hmm. um, and so it may take some repetition, and it also may take uh, step four here, which is the strategic reminder, meaning that you have a couple of tactical keys, things that you need to be focused on at that time to make sure that you're making good decisions. Because you can just say, make good decisions and make crappy ones. Yeah. So at that time, you know your mind's going to be a little bit off. You know that the pressure is mounting. So like, what are a couple things, uh, or uh, like, what are, the, what are the common mistakes that you tend to make around that time? Um, I probably rush decisions. Okay. Um, I find myself, sort of the best way I could sum it is like the heat of the moment because... Mm -hmm. What I'm good at now is dealing with it. As soon as the bad beat happens or as soon as I'm at a tournament, literally five minutes, ten minutes, I'm, I'm fine with it. And I can, I'm logical and I can, it's happened that many times, I can say, uh, you know, I got it and get etc. I can analyse the situation. But when I'm in live play in, in real sort of time, I, I do, I rush decisions and I sort of say after it, well, you know, if I'd taken a little bit longer there, I wouldn't have done that. And that's so wrong. I can see it so wrong. You know, I can, leading up to that, you know, like the bad beat or whatever that puts me at the tournament, um, there are certainly points, because I'm waiting on this sort of impending doom, that I'm definitely making, uh, you know, less than optimal plays. I can see that myself. And I think it's, I, I rush sometimes too much, especially online. I, I rush my decisions. I feel like a, a need to sort of click it quick and, you know, do something quickly. Why? Why is that? Why do you feel like you need to act quick? I I don't know. I, I really don't know. I don't do it live. I can I can take my time live and stuff. I just I don't know whether it's something as simple as 
you know, it's clicking buttons. It's it's easy to just you know click away, or because it's like a, it's almost like a computer game. Or I really don't know, but I, I definitely catch myself sometimes making decisions far too you know far too quickly. Okay, so keep paying attention to that because that's going to be important to being able to correct this at least online. Mm-hmm. Now, the thing is, when you rush a decision, there are still factors uh, of that hand that you're still considering somewhat automatically. Mm-hmm. It's not like you you make it like totally blind. No, no. So what that does is goes back to um, the adult learning model in Chapter 2. There's a gradation of skill. There's this mastered skill called unconscious competence. Yeah. Right? And that's the stuff that's going to show up here. Everything else requires active thinking. So if you can analyze a hand that uh, or decision that was made rushed, then you can figure out the parts of that decision that were still made and the parts that were missed. Now, whatever is missed is what you have to be reminding yourself of um, at the time that you're, you know, you're going to tend to get off. Because again, it's not just about saying, "Okay, slow down." You need to slow down and think about these things. So mm-hmm. you need to be really specific because if you just slow down, there's no guarantee that you're just going to automatically think about what you need to. Yeah. So when you are rushing a decision, what are you missing? What factors do you tend to omit or not consider? Uh, um, I would probably say it has to do with you know using Holden Manager and maybe not going right into the guy's stats um, in terms of you know his calling ranges and um, his three bet percentages. Whatever the situation, I would say that I don't um, take into account as many factors as I should when making a decision. And I'll sometimes just see, you know, I've raised the guy's three, but I've got 20 big blinds. I'm putting it in here with his hand. Mm-hmm. Whereas if I maybe went into statistics a bit more, I could make, you know, a more plus EV decision. Okay. Perfect. Anything else that you're missing? Um... Or is it that information that allows you to to get a better read on on that on him? Yeah, that probably uh, allows me to get a better read. You know, the guy the guy's stats and stuff, but also maybe um, hands that the guy's played previously in terms of watching what he's doing and watching what he's putting in with. You know, when you're playing more than one table, um, it's easy to sort of switch off and like become a bit autopilot. Um, whereas, you know, some decisions, if you'd been watching a few of the guy's hands. It's maybe like you're never good there, you know, putting sure. it in or something like that. Sure. Okay. So there you go. So that that becomes uh, your strategic reminder. Now I would actually write that out either on a sticky note, on a word document, or a note card, mm-hmm. uh, along with that logic statement of make a decision because you can't control, uh, you know, what cards are coming out. Mhm. Mhm. Um, and then you know, as you're getting deep into a tournament or you start noticing the negativity, you're instantly going back to those two things. Mm -hmm. That's what's going to keep kind of you on track in a sense, Mm -hmm. both mentally and tactically. Now, the last thing, so we've got um, doing more work off the table just in your game, what we just mentioned, and then this like regret, the accumulated emotion has to get jacked down it has to be kind of broken apart and that's work that requires that's work that's required off the table so what i'd like you to do uh is a little bit of writing it doesn't have to be a ton i'm not talking you know uh writing books here but 
writing paragraphs about the situations that still linger in your mind, these memories that still um, have some emotion attached to them. Mm-hmm. You know, or still are intruding your thoughts at random times that you mentioned in the questionnaire. Mm-hmm. To actually write out, you know, what was the biggest cause of the of the negative emotion for you from each of these different memories. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned that it was uh, that you were building a bankroll and it really would have meant a lot to you. Yeah. Um, and really explain what it would have meant, what you think it would have meant. Kind of flush out of your mind the details of, in, in essence, what you're still hanging on to, what you're still regretful about. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then we want to begin to break that down. And the, and the second step here is to essentially kind of understand what you've learned. Like, what is now different? What have you learned because of uh, this experience? Uh, what... Um, yeah, what consequences uh, may have come out of um, you being lucky in these spots and, and actually having it having it be good. I mean, we, we talked about this earlier, but actually writing it down and reviewing it, studying mm-hmm. it, is going to help to really break apart that emotion because uh, you're essentially correcting the flaw that allowed it to occur in the first place. Mm-hmm. It's just, as you say, I could even um, say now that the, the ones that I go on about are the ones that I wouldn't have changed anything I did in any situation. Even still, you know, reworking the hand and looking at the situation, mm-hmm. it is, I wouldn't have changed my, my decision. You know, two kings against two queens, even if I see the guy's cards, you know, they're in. It's, I know I'm a sane person and a logical person. I know that I cannot, yep. it was just, it was going to happen. The deck was set for that to happen and the guy to hit a two out or on the river or, you know, a few other times in live tournaments as well. And, um, I know I, I've tried to sort of like think back like that and say, well, I wouldn't have. There's nothing I could have done differently, you right. know, in the in, in the situations. So at that time, was there perhaps like a wish that you had that much control of the outcome? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Then that really is the flaw. Mm-hmm. So what you've now been essentially correcting and what you've realized as you've gone forward here is that 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 was not true. You do not have that much control. Yeah. And it may have emerged because of how, as you said, lucky or opportunistic uh, and successful you were earlier. So that that sense of control was just exaggerated. And here it just needed to be kind of put in, in, in its place, mm-hmm. which it's clearly has been done. But the emotion of that wish still kind of lingers. And so you have to prove why you wouldn't want that kind of wish to be actually real. Mm-hmm. And what comes to mind? Why would you not want to be able to have that much control of the outcome? Um, you just, I just couldn't even start that because logically I know you can't have that much control. It's, mm-hmm. it's insane to say that you can... It's insane to think that you can have any influence on what cards are, you know, are coming up. Okay, but, but why does it make some sense that you would that you would? Uh, because then it would mean you know there's, there there would never be any pain ever in poker. Okay. So was some of this an avoidant? Was this a a desire to avoid pain? 
don't know, in a sick way, you kind of enjoy the pain sometimes, don't you? Some people, sometimes. I mean, if, <laughs> it, the, the thing about the pain in that circumstance is that it becomes another thing that you can potentially control. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's strange. It's just um, in terms of, you know, you sit down at the table, you you, you play well, you, you're looking to do everything you can. And um, I suppose if I was analysing it or something or looking at it, it goes part to, you know, that part of people when they're, they're talking to gamblers and gamblers, you know, most of them, you know, they actually, they actually want to lose because that's when they feel, you know, alive or whatever, or that's when they feel... Um, some sort of emotion or an effect on their state, an altered state. You know, when they're winning, it's sort of it's the old thing about the high of winning is not as big as you know, or it's not as impactful, you know, as the pain of losing sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, strange. So, this wish that you had more control has been curbed, but we know for a fact that. You can't have that much control. There's no disputing that. How and why you had it originally may be somewhat due to the fact that you had a lot more control of your prior business activities outside of poker. Yeah. yeah. And so your ability to kind of enact a self, a sense of, not even a sense of it, you had more control of outcome in, the, in, in those things. So the the wish wasn't necessarily a wish. It was just like a belief that you actually had that much control. Mm-hmm. And poker basically just slapped you upside the head and said, you're wrong. Yeah, definitely. So it was a wake-up call that needed to happen. Yeah. And clearly you actually didn't have that much control in business. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had perhaps more than others and you know were able to come out guns blazing, had a ton of talent, but that talent wasn't matched with a sustained work ethic to really build these businesses in the way that perhaps you would have liked or wished. Yeah, definitely. So poker's kind of correcting a lot of old patterns or old flaws, and it's doing so in a way that's painful because you had to break yourself. It's almost like like taking a wild horse and training it. You know, you've got to break it in a sense, and poker has broken you, but if the emotion continues to linger then it's going to continue to break you long after you've learned the lessons now it's just time to take those lessons and move forward with them helping you to prof- to provide greater stability for your game rather than having it continue to diminish your ability yeah wow <laughs> yeah definitely I mean it does hit home you know when you hear it like that and um you know, I, I can admit it that probably part of me is a little bit of a, you know, a control freak. And like you say, I've always had, I've always been independent in terms of, you know, my own boss, whether, whether when it comes to money related, you know, things like that and making my own decisions and pretty, you know, control is obviously in business. You do have a lot more control no matter what you're doing. There isn't as much, you know, there's certain situations that can go your way and stuff and, and luck plays a part in life, but sure. in poker, it plays, you know, a huge part. You know? <laughs> It definitely plays a huge part. So, um, yeah, it is. I mean, and it, it's insane to think that, but um, you, you can sort of have some sort of bearing on the card. But it's just that feeling of, uh, you know, you've seen other players saying that they just, when you're running bad and stuff, you do start to just feel that, you know, you are cursed almost, you know, for want of a better uh, term. 
But I, I know, I know deep down that that's that's nonsense, you know. Right, but there's a part of you that, <clears throat> excuse me, that can believe it because you've come from a world where you were blinded to the negative sides of variance in business. You you thought that it was all, you know, roses and gold. Yeah. And now you got to poker, and it's not quite that way. And so, yeah, you know, when you were saying earlier that that the the pleasure and, and enjoyment of winning is not equal to the to the degree of pain of losing. Mm-hmm. Part of that comes with expectation. People generally don't expect when they're beginning so, beginning something to lose. They expect to be able to acquire skill and be good at it. And so those results are not necessarily valued as much because that's expected. Yeah. So the pain of losing becomes disproportionate because you're not valuing how much work and energy and talent and things and even variants that can help you uh, to achieve uh, the positive side of things. If those were valued to the degree that they should be, mm-hmm. then the the pain of uh, of losing would be equal uh, proportionally to the the pleasure of winning. Um, but it's not. And generally, people and and it seems like you fall into this mode where. Uh, when you're overconfident, that means you're not valuing certain factors that have gone into those end results. And it seems like, in some respects, the good luck that you've had in business uh, was not necessarily as valued at the time. And it was instead believed to be more about you than it mm-hmm. was factors beyond your control. It was expected. I just, I'd always had it from a young age, you know, yeah. continually. Things. Yep. It was reinforced every year, you know, something would happen and something would, no matter what mistake I made, or that something else would always come up, you know? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, and then on some level you can you can begin to rationalize losing, and in this case, if it's, I'm cursed, uh, then that actually excuses you from doing the work to actually improve. Because if you're cursed, why yeah. would you work? Yeah, I'm not taking responsibility. It's, what's the point? It doesn't matter what I do. Sort of that feeling. Exactly. You know, it doesn't matter how much I work or how many hands I review and stuff. I'm still always going to just get, you know, yep. crushed deep in a tournament. Yep. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. That's all I got for you, man. It's it's quite strange. It's more than enough, Jared, uh, for me to <laughs> for me to digest, and I'm um, I'm sure I'll be listening to you know to the audio of it uh, lying in my bed uh, one night. I hope it doesn't keep me up uh, too too much. But you know, definitely what you're saying. I think just maybe to add, when I first got into poker, I had a lot of blind success early. You know, when you're just in the game and it's fresh and. I didn't really have, you know, when I look back to myself, I didn't have a grasp, you know, I had the basics, but I had a, a few scores live, you know, f- decent scores as well. Yeah. And um, also online, you know, a couple of er- early success in big tournaments that were way outside my bankroll, but because I was new at the game, I was just buying in, you know, from money I'd, I'd made in business and stuff. And I sort of luckboxed my way to early success. And it almost seems that the more I found out about the game, yeah, it's the whole thing about beginner's luck. It felt that the more I found out about the game in terms of read a book, picked up this or whatever, um, I would almost, you know, struggle more and my results would be. But obviously, it's just because I'm playing more and I'm going, I'm going to see more, you know, with variance and stuff. Sure. sure. But, um, strange. So uh, one other section of the book that may be helpful just to look over is Injustice Tilt. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I don't. I wouldn't put. I wouldn't label you to be like a classic uh, type of this, but I think the content in there will be helpful. Okay, I'll certainly read that. And in general, what have what have you thought of what you read so far? Oh, it's been it's been fantastic. I mean, the 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 inchworm uh, concept uh, was was really good. That really hit home. You know, when you see it like that as well, and when you think, you know, like that, it's it's sort of true. And when you when you certainly take, you know, it feels like you're taking a step backwards sometimes uh, before you're going forward. But um, yeah, that that definitely. And also, you know, the um, the thing about what was it the learned consciousness what was it was that unconscious competence um, mm-hmm. and conscious competence that certainly as well and um, when you realize you know things that i when i first started playing poker you know you would calculate outs and stuff but now you just you just know it it's like i think you maybe even use the same analogy it's like driving a car you're not thinking mm-hmm. i'm putting it into first gear here i'm putting the clutch down or whatever you right. just do it and certainly more of my poker game is, you know, is uh, unconscious comp- things that I would have, you know, as to, to break it back to basics, when you first start playing, you know, it's like, um, does that, you know, some people might even, does a straight beat a flush or whatever, but as you play more, all that's in your head, you know all that, and um, certainly pot odds and things and number of outs and stuff, um, all that sort of in the deep recesses, uh, you know, automatically. Um, but as I study the game more, you learn that there's more to to learn, and I'm I'm sort of thinking more about the the new things now, and good, uh, you know, and so hopefully one day that goes into the the conscious competence, unconscious competence, isn't it? That's the holy grail, isn't it? That's the that's the whole idea, exactly. Unconscious yeah. competence, yeah, 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 yeah. man, it's, it's excellent. That's great. That's great. I, I'm I'm uh, I'm happy to hear that. Yeah, definitely. So, um, as I mentioned at the start, um, I have a copy of your book that we're going to give away free uh, to OneOuter.com listener. Um, and all they'll need to do is either um, go onto the Facebook page, which is Facebook.com slash OneOuter, um, or contact me at Twitter at OneOuter.com, um, or send me an email, Barry at OneOuter.com, and put subject mental game of poker. And if you contact me by any one of those three ways and just tell me uh, why they deserve this free copy of Jared's book, The Mental Game of Poker, why they deserve it the most. Um, sob stories are welcome. <laughs> uh, <laughs> pictures of broken keyboards, etc. might swing it as well. Um, so if anyone wants a free book, uh, which is an excellent book, uh, Mental Game of Poker by Jared Tendler and Barry Carter, then either at me on Twitter Go onto the Facebook page or email me, barry at oneouter.com, and tell me why you deserve the book, and I'll ship that book out to someone. Perfect. And that's courtesy of Jared. So we're grateful of that, Jared. Yeah, you're very welcome. And uh, for everyone else who does not win, they can buy the book at thementalgameofpoker.com or at amazon.uk or amazon.com. I couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, Jared, uh, always a pleasure, mate. Um, great to have you on. And... Uh, Maybe in a few months down the line, uh, I can even have another catch-up, come and speak to you, and hopefully I'm speaking about my new zen-like approach and a few tournament scores or something. Well, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm happy to do that as long as we remove that one word, which is hope, because hope is a word that tends to avoid responsibility. 
So it says that you're hoping that something's going to happen, but you don't actually control it. So you've got the tools in your hand, both between what we talked about today and in the book, and uh, there's no more hoping for that. You'll you'll get there if you do the work. Okay, we're going to have you on in a couple of months. (laughs) Speaking about uh, a big tournament score for myself. There you go. Okay. Jared, absolute pleasure, mate. Good stuff, Barry. Good talking, man. Be well. Okay. Cheers. Bye.